Ben. And now hear the word of God from, uh, from the Gospel of Luke this time. Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. I'll be reading the first 12 verses. These are the words of God. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Now on the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened... As they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's ask his blessing now. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In the name of your Son, our risen Lord Jesus Christ, open our hearts and ears and eyes in the preaching of the gospel that all would hear and see and believe all that the resurrection proclaims. Do what only you by the Holy Spirit can do. And bless now the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. An empty tomb. That's what this passage refers to, talks about. No Jesus, just an empty tomb. So what? Lots of people would say that to you if you talked about the empty tomb. So, so what? What's the big deal? Everyone knows that Easter is about the tomb of Jesus being empty. And the point? Well, part of the point is that the part of what we understand to be the point is something they didn't know. Those, these women did not know or understand. The point is that Jesus rose from the dead just as he said he would, and according to the word of God. But this part of the story that that I read this morning, this part of the story doesn't begin with Jesus standing in their midst in a resurrected body. It starts with an empty tomb and no Jesus anywhere. And I want to encourage you to kind of enter into that story right at that point. There's no Jesus. He's been dead and, as far as you know, buried for three days, and he's gone. Now his body's gone. The reactions of the women and then the disciples is telling. And, and maybe it's possible that not only to enter into that story, but maybe you can also find yourself or remember a time when you yourself had the same kinds of doubts and questions and uncertainties about what to make of any of this. Maybe you remember a day when you had doubts about this story too. Maybe it was just an idle fable, a nice, a, a, a nice Aesop's fable of, of sorts. Didn't matter if it was true or not. And, and all that miracle stuff rising from the dead, we don't have to really believe that. There's, there's kind of a story within the story that's as important in, enough. Any, anyway, isn't that true? Maybe, maybe you still occasionally wonder, is, is this passage that I just read, I mean, do you believe that that actually took place in time and history? on a place on the earth that you could find on Google Maps today? Like, it, was, it really happened there. Maybe you occasionally wonder. 
Maybe you're caused to doubt that. Maybe you still doubt the story. And, and maybe you think that all of that's not all that important, really, when it comes to being a Christian after all. But being a Christian is following a, a list of good principles, good advice, um, good teaching from, from many people over the course of, of, of centuries now, and of course, good teachings from this prophet, this rabbi, Jesus, who told us to love others. Well, that's a good that's a good thing to do, isn't it? Love others. Yeah, we could just following the teachings would be enough, wouldn't it be? Now, if any of that is true for you, and I dare say, I dare say that some of you, it, for some of you, it, it actually is true. There, there are some here that you actually do wonder whether or not this is to be believed, and whether or not it's that important, whether or not you believe it. You, you doubt. You have your doubts. And if that is with, for, for any of you, then you, I want you to notice, first of all, that you find yourself in very good company with the character in these, characters in these verses. You, in the, moment, in the moment of your doubts and concerns or, or uncertainties, are walking right there with the women, finding an empty tomb you didn't expect, and not knowing what to make of it. And then hearing about a resurrection, maybe you've had this experience too, and, and, and then you come to believe, and now you go and you tell someone else, and they tell you you're full of hooey. It's just, what are you talking about? So, and like those characters, I think the God, the God of these scriptures has something to say to us, to, to you and to me in these passages as well. So while the, while the fact of the resurrection is already evident with an empty tomb, Luke's focus here in these verses is upon the lack of expectation um, uh, uh, on this event by those who had followed him by his disciples, by the women who had been with him, some of them for a number of years now. And, and yet they, they're, they're completely caught off guard. Verse 1 again, on the very first day of the week, uh, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. So the, the women hurried out on the first day of the week after the Sabbath, and, and, and it's, they, they, the other accounts say they've, they've got uh, spices and oils that they want to go and put on the body. They're not sure who's going to roll the stone away. See, a, a, a tomb was a place where many bodies might be placed. Now, Jesus had been placed in a new tomb um, from Joseph of Arimathea. He had provided a tomb for Jesus. But it was common that tombs could hold many different bodies. During the time of, of their decay... Loved ones, in honor and respect, would go back to the tombs and would put spices and oils on them during that time to take away the stench of death and, and to pay honor and tribute to the body. And so uh, it, it also might be that they hadn't gotten all of the normal preparations done because he had died so close to when the Sabbath began. And so they're, going, they're running there now as the Sabbath is over, and they're, and they're going to put now some spices and some oils and, or additional spices on oils. And they get there, and the tomb is, is open. They, they were going to anoint this, this dead body with spices, they thought, but they, they were living by sight. Jesus had died. These women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, they were there. They watched him being crucified. They watched him for hours slowly die. They watched him suffer. They watched him. They watched the, uh, the soldiers spear him in the side. They, they knew he was dead, cold dead. They probably had a part in his original preparation, that, that quick preparation before the Sabbath, and they put him in the grave. They were dealing with events by sight and not by faith. Jesus had died. They had seen him buried. 
They may have believed in a resurrection, but maybe in a general resurrection in the final day, someday ahead, maybe that's what he was referring to, um, as the Jews would believe in, in a resurrection from the dead in the, in the final day. But the, the men are locked up in a house somewhere, scared of the Jews. They're, they're afraid of the Jews. They're, they're, their leader has been taken and has been crucified, and they're staying away. Women go, get out, and they're, they're going to go, but they go there by, faith, or by, by sight and not by faith. And they get there, they find the stone, stone rolled away, the tomb empty, and themselves completely at a loss for words. It says, it says uh, in verse 4, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, tough word to, to translate, it, it, it can be translated at a complete loss for words. They just dumbfounded, jaw dropped. The body's gone. Who's taken the body? What's happened? And, and we should sympathize here for a moment. They didn't have the rest of the story as we do before us in the Word. And we probably have a hard time sympathizing with the deep disappointment and fear that they had as they watched the, the one who they thought was the Messiah murdered on a cross. And then days go by, and they're hiding, and it's, it's over. It's all over. All hope is over, Right? They didn't have the entirety of the New Testament at all. They couldn't turn to the, to the Gospel of Luke and see what happened. They couldn't turn to the, the report of, of Christ's resurrection and the sightings in 1 Corinthians 15. They couldn't turn to uh, all the teachings of the New Testament that would help us understand how all the Old Testament was speaking necessarily of Christ's resurrection in the ways that we can. They hadn't hear, heard thousands and thousands of Easter Sunday sermons. They didn't have the 40 days of the resurrected Christ that we read about in, in the end here of, of chapter 24 and the other Gospels where Jesus teaches them all and, and, and refers back to the Old Testament, gives them this Bible study for 40 days on, on how it was that he uh, was fulfilling the, the, uh, uh, the Old Testament prophecies and, and seeing him, walking with him, eating with him again. And they didn't have Pentecost yet. They didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of, of God that dwelt upon and in and among them now as believers, filling them with wisdom, filling them with knowledge, filling them with trust, faith, and courage. They didn't have these yet. All of a sudden, all they did have before them was two shining angels, says men here in this passage. We know from the other passages they were angels. These two shining men before them. Who are you and what have you done with our Lord? Right? So they go on, and, and this says, Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, probably weeping, they said, Why do you... The, the, uh, um, well, I'm sorry, the, the, the two men in the garments are, are speaking to the, to the women. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, the angels said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. And here is the central point. It didn't seem to matter that they had literally walked for Jesus for years. It didn't matter that they had seen him crucified. Spiritual eyes, spiritual eyes are only open when God opens them, and his means of doing so is the word. So they don't see Jesus, and they don't believe, and angels have to remind them of what Jesus said. Angels had to remind them. The angel said, said, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. You're, you're, in this, you're in complete state of confusion, perplexity, 
Your Savior is gone. What you thought was going to, was going to be wonderful is, is completely demolished. And then angels speak to you and they say, don't you remember? Jesus said in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. These angelic instructions over the words of Jesus, like the spirit-breathed word of God, quickens deadened hearts, not sight, and not words just dead words on a page, but words that are brought by means of God into the hearts of men. That's what quickens hearts. That's what opens spiritual eyes. The angels seem to emphasize two points in this. First, the scripture had required that Jesus be delivered over to be crucified. Don't you remember? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. Jesus had said so himself multiple times um, in Luke, uh, or, and alluded to it. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. In Luke 11, And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, Jesus began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Son of Man. Luke 18. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. There, completely, it seems to us, as clear as can be in terms of what's going to happen. But they didn't see it then. They didn't understand that. And, and partially, they, they wouldn't understand it because of this, this phrase about being the son of man, that the son of man was going to do that. And I'll get to that in just a moment. God had been in control, but what we see is here is that God had been in control of the death of Jesus from beginning to end. God had sent his son for this very purpose, because he loved the world, because he was going to, through his son, as the new Adam, the new humanity, pay for our sins, for your sins. Upon a cross, the wrath of God being poured out so that the wrath of God would not be poured out upon you, deserving sinners. This was God's intention, and Jesus, following God's will, follows it all the way to the cross. God was in control. That's, that's what's going on. Don't you remember, the angel said? This is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. And the end was his resurrection. And then this is the second point. Jesus is that son of man that he continues to refer to in Luke 9, in Luke 11, in Luke 18, and as the, as the angels are talking to him. He is the son of man. And, and the son of man doesn't mean that he's just like, uh, many of us might be sons of men, right? But the son of man is a title, a title that the Jewish people knew from Daniel the prophet um, that referred particularly to one who was going to come and would ascend up into heaven and would sit at the right hand of God and rule all of the nations. This was given as a prophecy, and all the Jewish teachers are teaching this in Jesus' day. Daniel 7, 13, 14, I was watching the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with clouds of heaven, and, and, and that's quoted by Jesus in, in Matthew 24, and we really, in our generation, have messed this up. We, we mess this up because we, we think that that phrase, we, that one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, is about Jesus' return, his second return here to earth. 
And Jesus is going to return. He is going to come to earth. That's when the final resurrection is taking place. But that's not what Jesus was referring to when he's quoting Daniel 7. When he's quoting Daniel 7, listen again as it goes on. One like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days. This is his coming in the clouds to heaven, to the Ancient of Days. And they brought Jesus, they brought the Son of Man, they brought him near before him. And then, here's what the Father does. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Certainly Jesus would have taught and explained that to his disciples about what the Son of Man was going to do. He would be raised up to heaven and from there he would reign. Turn with me to just two quick Psalms as well. Turn to Psalm 2. Peter, once he's filled with the Spirit, who understands this far better, is going to use uh, these verses in talking about Christ. In Psalm 2, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Messiah, that's the word, his Messiah, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords. Peter will take those verses, and as he's preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, he will say, This was referring to the Jews and the Gentiles, to Herod and Pontius Pilate, representing the Jews and the Gentiles, all of the world, all of the nations, standing against and plotting against the Messiah. But Psalm 2 goes on. He who sits in heaven, which means as God God was up in heaven, and while all the entire world, Jew and Gentile alike, represented by Herod and Pontius Pilate, are planning how they're going to put Jesus to death, put him out of their life, put him out of their, their way of, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And they're going to crucify him. And what is God the Father in heaven doing with regard to their plotting? According to this verse, verse four, he who sits in heavens shall laugh. <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> they shall laugh. He, and he shall laugh at them and hold them in derision. Oh, you stupid rebels. You think you can stop God Almighty from his plans to save you. (laughs) You think you can stop powerful God Almighty from his plans to save wicked people like you. Because you cannot stop God and his kingdom. Goes on. He turns, he says, then he speaks to them in in his wrath and in distress, distresses them in his deep displeasure and says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, similar to Daniel. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And Jesus did. The son of God was crucified for the nations, not for a smattering but for the nations. Turn to Psalm 110 for just a moment. This is the most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. And these verses right here, the first verse, is, is, is usually the one that is quoted. And it is Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, you could understand that as being Yahweh, saying to my Lord, that is David's Lord, as David writes this, So Yahweh speaking to Jesus, the Father speaking to Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Sit right here at my right hand, reigning over all the nations until I have made all of your enemies 
a footstool. Paul will take those verses in 1 Corinthians 15 and explain to us that, yes, Jesus is going to come again, but he is not coming again until all the nations have been subdued in the preaching of the gospel. What I want you to see is how confident God the Father is, how confident Jesus is in his work, how confident is in, in the one who says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I am the beginning and the end, in the story that he is bringing forth in time and space, just like you could find that time and space on the Google map. You could find God's plan at work where you are right now, where you sit right now, what you think right now, how you are acting right now. You cannot get outside of that will of God, that decreed will, those steps that he is taking. He, and, and this is all glorious good news if you will receive it. It means for all your foibles, for all your missteps, for all your times of rebellion, for all your doubts, for all your concerns, you can't stop the love of God. Now, what if you don't believe? Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but for, for those with faith, that's what you need to understand. The confidence of God Almighty. His resurrection declares Jesus to be the Son of God and the Son of Man, the King of kings and Lord of lords with power. Paul would write in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So Christ died for your sins and when he is raised from the dead, it says it's for your justification. This is for your right standing before God. Now, how is his resurrection connected to your right standing before God? Because the only person who can stand before God is somebody who's completely, perfectly holy and righteous. Anyone here? I didn't think so. Except all of you are in Christ. Because if you died with Christ, Paul will say in Galatians 2.20, if you died with Christ, then you were raised with him to new life. And your baptism declares you've been washed from all your sins and made righteous. The Holy Spirit imparted to you, granted to you. Faith and eternity, all yours, because you stand in Jesus Christ's righteousness and none of your own. Do you see that? So hard to understand when you're standing before an empty tomb and you've lost the one that you loved and had followed. So hard when life doesn't go the way that you expect it to go. Which is why you need to hear the words of angels and the work of the Holy Spirit in you, receiving the words of angels, of who God is. But they would wonder where... Okay, so you're these women. Okay, so... The Son of Man has to ascend. Maybe he's gone. Maybe his body's already ascended. Maybe he's already gone. And you know what? If Jesus had ascended, think about this for a moment. If Jesus had ascended at that point and nobody had ever saw his body, that would have completely fulfilled Daniel's prophecy. And I wonder how much Jesus longed for that ascension and that enthronement. Maybe he was gone. Maybe they weren't going to see him. Maybe, the, maybe it was all going to be just... Now these words. Well, it says though, in, in verse 9, uh, then they returned from the tomb, having remembered, verse 8, and they remembered his words. Oh, that's right. Wait a second. And they hurry back. They returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Then the names of the women are given to here. 
They told them that all these things, they told everything they heard from the apostles, everything they saw, and their words seemed to them like idle tales or nonsense. What, what are you talking about? The disciples don't get it. They don't understand. They don't believe. Immediately, we can identify with the women as they witness as well as, as some of us can identify with the doubters. We know what it is to think of this story as an idle tale, as a useless fable. I remember as an unbeliever calling it just a simple crutch story for people to hold on to when times were rough. But not true. Not true. In fact, it would be considered misleading to require of you to believe this as true truth. Peter, upon hearing the story in verse 12, however, is pricked at the heart and he runs to the tomb. He needs to investigate this for himself. And Luke later tells us that Peter finally is convinced through the instruction of the Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had to, had to die and that it was impossible that he not be raised from the dead. Listen to Acts 2.24. This is at Pentecost. Peter is preaching. He says, Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. How is it not possible that Jesus could be held by, the, by death and its pains? Because Jesus is Lord over death. Because Jesus is Lord over death. And might I add, that means Jesus is Lord over your death. It is Jesus alone who holds the day and the hour of your death and the destiny of your death. It is Jesus alone who holds the moment of your last breath and at the end of that last breath, where you will go from there. Jesus alone proves himself to be Lord and King over all death. And the hope of the Christian is that he has no fear for death, no sting in death anymore. Because Jesus is Lord of my death. Well, the women were rebuked with these words, why do you seek the living among the dead? Interesting words. They had missed the point of the crucifixion and the promises of God. Where does this, we can ask for ourselves as well, where does the world still look for Jesus in all the wrong places? How is it that we miss Jesus? <clears throat> How is it that we miss this truth of the full and complete lordship of Jesus Christ? Where might religious types particularly be looking if, uh, of following Jesus in all the wrong places? Here are a few ideas, some thoughts. The first, the first thing is that people end up rejecting the gospel or grow cold in their faith because the world did not become perfect immediately after Christ's resurrection, nor immediately after someone is born again. Life didn't go perfectly for you, and life hasn't gone perfectly in this world according to our definition of perfection. <clears throat> and certainly, while, while I said that uh, the decreed will of God is kept perfectly, um, whatever he has decreed comes to pass. At the same time, he would look and agree with us. There are many things going wrong, not according to his commands, not according to his will in that way. Well, why, why, does it, why didn't it just stop? Why didn't, at his resurrection, why didn't the world just be made perfect at that time? Or why in my life 
I come to Christ, I, 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 I pray to him, I receive him, I'm, I, I, I believe that I'm born again, and yet, the very next day, there are struggles and troubles and difficulties. God seems to disappoint. What happened to this God who is Lord over all? What happened to him? So, what happens is, some grow cold in their faith. Some are consumed by the love of, of things of the world, clutching onto them, and they are choked, as, as Jesus would say in his parable. And, and what, what we see is around us, sin and death still remain. Life is still filled with hardships and setbacks and disappointments. But here's the deal. Stop looking for Jesus in your perfect world, according to your definition. It is his perfect world. We all know the temptation to rewrite our story. We all know the temptation, to re especially to rewrite what we think we think should happen tomorrow with our problems, with our trials, with our struggles. You have it written down, don't you? If not actually on a piece of paper, you have it written in your heart, in your minds, here's where this should go, Lord. And you're even encouraged to pray. Here's where this should go, Lord. But know this. If it's the same God who raised Jesus from the dead and has, and has power over death and that final day, is it not also true <clears throat> that he has power, authority, and a will that takes you through his perfect plan for your life to glorify you with the Lord Jesus on that, follow, uh, on that final day according to his good will and purposes? Is it possible that all things do work together for good? Not just for everybody else, not a placard up to hang up in your bathroom. In your life, is it possible that all things, even right now at this moment, are working for good? Well, I'll tell you, if God opens your ears and you believe in the risen Christ who died for your sins, who has paid for your life, and who has promised that he's going to complete what he began till the end, then there is, I promise, nothing but good ahead. Nothing but good. Every hard work, every difficulty is his way of creating in you a greater, larger, deeper vessel to hold more glory in eternity at the resurrection. That is what he has for you. Remember, he's the Lord of death. He's Lord over death. What must you do? You must believe in God. You must believe in Jesus. You must believe in him, not just a sweet name, but you must believe in one who is, actually, who is actually in control of your life all the way to the end. It's not like he's not in control of your life for 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years, and it's just a mess. And then finally, you die and you go to heaven, and now he's in control of your life for all of eternity. And he, and he joins with you and going, whew, that was rough. I'm glad we're done with that now. Here, you just come up here now to heaven and sit with your little soul. I'll give you a harp and, a, and, a, and a set you on a cloud. You can just strum for a while. Get some rest. That's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is you are going to see, you are going to encounter one who is going to give you a new name on a white stone. What that means is he's going to finally, in that end, he's going to reveal to you who you are. What your purpose is. 
not just for the next, you know, like what job should I take or who should I marry or what's going to happen to me for the next four years and those kinds of decisions, but the ultimate and final and eternal forever decision. Who are you? Well, you know who knows who you are better than you do? The one who has a stone with your name written on it, and he's going to give that to you. This is in Revelation. He knows you. Wouldn't you love to be known? That's what everybody wants. Everybody, and if we seek human relationships because we want to be known. We long to be known by others. It's built into us. And there's also a built-in ache in us because we're broken and we can't be known. We don't even want to know ourselves. We want to hide. We want to hide ourselves. But the ache doesn't go away of longing to be known. And there's one who knows you personally. There, there is a man who knows you. There is a human being who knows you perfectly. And he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And he's working perfectly in your life. And at the end of, of this part, when you are before him and he hands you the stone, it will all make sense. That's why. That's how. That's where. For those who believe. There's no reason to not turn in trust to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him all the days of your life, no matter how hard it may seem to be, if that's true. And if it's not true, then we should just eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die, and the Lord of death will cast us away from him forever, because that's what we want. There's no reason to do that. In the preaching of the gospel, I tell you, all of you, there is no reason to do that. Do not put your faith in your picture-perfect world. Put your faith in the one who died for your life to be made perfect all the way to the end. And it all doesn't make sense right now, and it isn't going to make sense right now. That's what faith is. Faith is not kind of a, a have faith. Just kind of believe. No, faith has an object. And the faith that you are called to have is that person that I have been declaring. The one who knows all things, leads all things, and loves you like no one else. That, that's what faith is. Faith is to, to place your trust in his faithfulness, not yours, but in his faithfulness to you. It's so hard sometimes because we can't even understand how can God be, how can Jesus be fully God and fully man, or how could God be three and one at the same time? Doesn't make sense to say that you don't have to work for your salvation. It's, it's just all of grace. It doesn't matter all these other things. I, I don't have to get my life all cleaned up. Just come and believe. That's it. Simple little questions like I asked Max, do you believe? Do you believe? Yes. Okay. There's water. Go follow him now the rest of your life. That's it. <laughs> don't have to do anything. No, because you'd screw it up. If he left one thing for you to do, he does everything else, and he left just one thing for you to do. Like, don't eat from that one tree. Right? You'd screw it up, just like our parents did. So he left nothing. He did it all. He took care of it all. 
But we only see in a mirror dimly, and, and so here's the charge. Stop looking for a Jesus who makes life a docudrama where everything gets solved and wrapped up in 43 minutes plus commercials. All your answers are there. There is such mystery in this, deep, profound mystery in this. You are called to walk by faith. Some say they don't believe in miracles or in a resurrection. They, can't, they can simply believe that instead that Jesus is just a good man, a good example, a good teacher. A weak and frail liar is what he would be then. Because he said clearly, as we saw, no, here's what's going to happen. I am God. I am going to die. I am going to raise, be raised from the dead. And he's either a liar or a lunatic, or in fact, he is Lord. And so, if he's a liar or a lunatic, why are you following him? It doesn't take long for many people, I've noticed, to realize that. They don't stay with the good teacher thing all that long. At least they're consistent. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we Christians are, are the most to be pitied, Paul says. <coughs> what a waste of our lives. But if he did rise from the dead, then all these other things follow. So stop looking for Jesus among the pantheon of human philosophers and the philanthropist. He is not just one among many good teachers. Remember his words. Remember the words of now the resurrected King of Kings. This one who in fact was seen, who was touched, who was worshipped in his resurrected body because God was so kind to give that. Just look in, in chapter 24, just a little bit further down. Here's one of the accounts in verse 36. Now, as I said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do no doubts arise? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Maybe you should hear those words. Why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself, handle me and see for a spirit does not, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then he goes on to say, in fact, I'm kind of hungry. Do you got anything in the fridge? And he joins them for a fish sandwich. He eats with them. This is a resurrected body, resurrected, glorified body that Jesus has. Well, um, and then in 1 Corinthians 15, we are told of the many, uh, many sightings of Jesus, the many, many who believed um, uh, because they saw him. This is Paul. He says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, and by the twelve, and that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. When, when Paul writes that in his day, by the way, the reason he's saying that is, you want to go talk to people who've actually seen him risen from the dead? I got people. They're, they're all around here. Just ask. So when Paul is writing about, he doesn't have to prove the resurrection. That's why it's kind of hard to find that kind of evidential proof of the resurrection in the scriptures. Because Paul said, I don't really have to prove that. There's, I got a long list here. I got contacts. You want to go talk to him? He was seen. He ate with these people. He walked with these people. He talked with these people. For 40 days, he's seen over and over and over again. And he says, but some, um, and then he, says uh, he also was seen by James and then all of the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. 
Well, this is, these are the words, then let me end with these things. And I want, I want these words of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, if you've been convinced or reconvinced or encouraged to think about who this Jesus is, then hear these words that the resurrected Jesus would still say and he would command you to hear and believe today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you are looking for the way to heaven, if you are looking for truth about life, like your life, and if you are looking for life, abundant, full life, remember his words, as the angel said. Remember his words. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. If you're tired of the guilt, if you're tired of the shame, if you're tired of the excuse-making and the hiding and the loneliness that comes from sin. Remember his words, as the angel said. Remember his words and come to him. Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. And so if you want to know certainty, if you want with certainty to know what will be said about you and about your life for eternity... If you want to know with certainly that your certainty that your life matters and will count, then remember his words. Whoever confesses me, Jesus is Lord. Whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. You will stand with the Son of Man, with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will make confession of you. <laughs> is that, is that mind-blowing? Jesus Christ, we're told to confess Jesus as Lord. He's going to confess you as his, his friend, his son, his daughter, his co-heir. He is going to confess you as you enter into this eternal reign with him. Remember his words. Today you will be with me in paradise. If you want assurance of rest, no fear of death. If you want assurance of desires to be fulfilled of reconciled and restored relationship with the one who made you, the angels say, remember his words. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And I think this means many things, but here's what I want to end with here. Take up your cross and follow me. If you want a purpose, if you want a plan, if you want a reason to live your life through thick and thin, no matter the cost, Jesus says, take up the cross, your cross, and follow me. Because it will take you to death and resurrection. It will take you to loss and great and total, complete victory in Christ. If you want to know that trials matter, that sacrificing now for a later harvest is worth it, angels say, remember his words. Remember his words. His word is life and his word will have its way with the world. His words will have its way with you. He will have his way with each and every one of us by the power of his word. But it probably will not follow your well-thought-out plan. But that's okay. His is much better. Trust him. Trust in this one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Almighty God, Father of our risen Lord Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and this resurrected Savior has life for all who call on him in faith. 
Grant that faith to any here who have yet to believe. Strengthen these brothers and sisters here with faith that works and walks, that loves and runs with that love, because we were first loved, and all to the praise of your gracious glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Stand